Shabbat Shalom and welcome to United Israel World Union. This is our Saturday morning scripture study. Shabbat Shalom, welcome and thank you very much for joining us. I wanted to give one announcement before I get started this morning. We have uh, coming up April 21st through the 23rd, our 80th annual meeting in conference. We're hosting it in Charlotte, North Carolina that weekend. And I hope that some of my friends will post the link on both Facebook and YouTube for you to go to our website, unitedisraelworldunion.com. There is a conference tab where you can register. We don't charge anything to come to the conference. People are welcome and encouraged to donate as they are able to uh, help us with the cost of the conference. But it doesn't cost you anything. There's no registration fee, but registration is required on the website. And that way we know who's coming, how many of you are coming. But if you want to spend an incredibly enlightening weekend with me and with many others in United Israel, uh, talking late at night around, usually it's around a campfire in a nice courtyard, then you want to be there. So I encourage you to sign up very, very soon. Uh, There's also a link. We have a special reserved rate at the Hilton Doubletree in uh, Charlotte at South Park. And uh, so if you go on, you can register for the conference. You can also find the link to get one of our special rates at the room there. And do it soon. We've got until March the 20th for people to take advantage of that rate at the Hilton Doubletree. Uh, We are trying to extend that, but as of yet, March 20th is the deadline. So sign up now, sign up soon, and be ready to join us April 21st through the 23rd in Charlotte, North Carolina. United Israel World Union's 80th. I hope to see you there. So this is class number 13. Class number 13 in our ongoing study of the book of Jeremiah. Our study is called The World and Words of the Prophet Jeremiah. Jehoiakim, or Jehoiakim as he was called in the streets of the day, is the king in the place where we're at in our current study. And at the close of last week's class, In chapter 26 is where we were of Jeremiah. Jehoiakim slew Uriah ben Shemaiah of Kiriat Yearim. He killed a prophet of God. He did. Now there's a way in Hebrew where you say he had him killed. But this simply says in Jeremiah chapter 26 that Jehoiakim slew Uriah ben Shemaiah of Kiriat Yearim with the sword. And the reason that he did that is because Uriah had prophesied against Jerusalem and the land of Judea. Not only did he prophesy against Jerusalem and the land of Judea, but he did so according, this is uh, what Jeremiah twenty six twenty says, according to the words, all the words of Jeremiah. So here you've got a prophet who's speaking in the name of another prophet, declaring the same message that Jerusalem and the land of Judea will be destroyed. The message was not taken kindly. Uriah had to flee. Word gets out that Uh, that the officials, the government officials, are going to kill him. He flees to Egypt, uh, but Jehoiakim sent Elnatan um, ben Akbar, is his name, Elnatan ben Akbar and some others, to go from Judea, from the capital, to fetch Uriah from Egypt, which they did. They brought him back. Killed him with the sword. Jehoiakim did. Tossed his body. His dead body is what the Hebrew says. Tossed his dead body in the graves of the common folk. A prophet of God just threw his dead body, killed by the king 
a descendant of David. Now, from the closing passage of Jeremiah chapter 26, the last verse of 26, Jeremiah likely, very likely, would have suffered the same fate had it not been for the courageous intercedence of one man. One man stepped in and saved his life. The man's name is Ahikam, which means, my brother has arisen. And indeed, Ahikam stepped up, he rose up, and he saved Jeremiah from the same fate as Uriah ben Shemaiah. Now what I find striking about this is just how horrible the religious and political establishment of Judea was. Now, while most miss this point, I'm going to focus on something that people rarely notice as they study the book of Jeremiah and the world and words of the prophet Jeremiah. This final 40 years, if you will, of the kingdom of Judea. Most people miss this. I'm going to focus on it. That this man, Achikam, his family is ever present during this period. And one of the things that, you know, a lot of people might just want to read the words of Jeremiah when they study, study, air quotes, Jeremiah. But I want to study the period. I want to know not only Jeremiah and the words of Jeremiah, but I want to know the supporting cast. I want to know who was there. What are some of the people that were part of this world? And, and it's important because we find archaeological discoveries with some of these people's names. And we're able to validate certain periods of the biblical story and certain elements in the biblical story we're able to validate because of these finds. We're going to get into some of those. I'm going to share some archaeological discoveries that have been found within the last 10, 20, 50 years that underscore the veracity of events in the book of Jeremiah in this period. But if you don't know who these people are, you might find some of these bulla or find some of these inscriptions and see a name and think, well, you know, who is this? But we're going to put those people in the book, as we would say. Now, this particular family to which Ahikam belongs, I'm going to share with you today that we have three generations of one family who represent the best of the Judeans in the kingdom's final years. These people, this family is what I've called, and it's the title of my class today, the Holy Family. Now, who they were and what they did is the subject of the teaching today. I want you to go with me this morning to Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 26. We're going to go to the last verse. We're going to pick up where we left off last week, Jeremiah chapter 26, and the final verse is verse 24. Now, this is after, immediately on the heels of Jeremiah's temple sermon, and it says, Nevertheless, the hand of Akikam, the son of Shaphan, was with Yermiyahu, that they should not give him into the hand of the people to put him to death. This particular man, Akikam, saved Jeremiah's life from the hand of the people. In other words, it's not just the king that wants him dead, his sermon really stirred some people up. Let me tell you, the threat to Jeremiah was very real. It's not just like they were upset and they tore their clothes and they were mad. They did all that. But they wanted him dead. Because, remember, the people have been told, you're doing wonderfully. 
There's a revival in the land. The official press release from the government of Judea says that there's a revival, but Jeremiah doesn't know about the revival. Jeremiah's job is to tell the people what God has told him to tell them. When Zephaniah prophesied during the reign of Josiah, he and Jeremiah both were speaking about the problems with the Judeans, not the fact that they were doing wonderfully. But Zephaniah is no longer prophesying. We learn from Zephaniah 1.1 that he prophesied during the days of Josiah. The days of Josiah are over. But Jeremiah continues to prophesy. And according to chapter 26, this is the beginning of the days of Jehoiakim's reign. But when he goes into the temple, Jeremiah chapter 7 and Jeremiah chapter 26 give us elements of this event. When he goes into the house of the Lord, right there at the entrance to the gate in the upper court, and he stands there and he proclaims a message to the people, and it's not favorable. When he does what he does, when he says what he says, the words that he spoke stirred up the king, the princes of Judah, the priests, the so-called prophets, and many of the people. Now listen to this. I want you to look back at chapter 26, verse 8. 26, verse 8. Now this is as he's standing in the court, remember, Chapter 7 is the white space. Chapter 8 says, Now it came to pass when Yermiyahu, Jeremiah, had made an end of speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people, that the priest and the prophets and all the people took hold of him, saying, You shall surely die. Let me tell you about this real threat. They want Jeremiah dead. And don't think they won't kill a prophet of God. This king, remember, had Elnatan, ben Akbar, and some others go to Egypt. They didn't let him stay there and live his life in exile. They went and fetched him and hacked him up with a sword. Now look down at verse 11. And by the way, in, in verse 8 where it says, this man shall surely die. Let me make sure that's the way it translates in English. Yeah, you, thou, shall surely die. In Hebrew, it's mutamut. This is the same language that we meet with in the early part of Genesis where it says, the day that you eat thereof, dying you will surely die. It's, it's a repetition of the Hebrew uh, to underscore. The key point is die. Dying you will die. Mutamut. It's a very common way in Hebrew to express the superlative. Now look down at verse 11. Then spoke the priest and the prophets to the princes and to all the people, saying, This man is worthy to die. Now what's, what's his crime? For he has prophesied against this city as you've heard with your ears. Now, in this verse, where it says um, in verse 11, this man is worthy to die in Hebrew, it says a judgment of death for this man. In other words, the court, it's a kangaroo court. It's on the spot. You said you prophesied against this city. You're going to die. That was the judgment. And, and look, I don't want people to think, well, there's just a few bad priests most of the priesthood is holy and righteous and just. Well, there you go. Thinking about that language about this great revival in the land, the biblical narrative, particularly according to the prophets' writings, when we read Jeremiah, when we read Zephaniah, this is not the case. It is a wicked generation. Now, Achikam is mentioned... 20 times in the Tanakh. Remember, this is the man who kept Jeremiah from suffering the same fate as Uriah uh, that they chased down in Egypt. 
So 15 times his name appears most often, 20 times it appears in the Tanakh, but 15 times in connection with the name of his son. We're going to talk about his son in a little while. But, but right now I just want to focus on Ahikam. Uh, one time here in Jeremiah 26, 24, and the literal translation of that verse where he saves Jeremiah says, only, only the hand of Ahikam ben Shaphan was with Jeremiah so that he was not given into the hand of the people to kill him. Only the hand of Ahikam. That means that in that group, he's, remember Jeremiah is standing right inside the gate of the Lord's house. This isn't like a bad neighborhood. Well, it actually is. It's a den of robbers. It's a den of violent men. It should be a house of God, a, God, a house built uh, to honor and glorify God's name and will on the earth. But it has turned into a pit of vipers. It's a bad, bad place, probably the most unsafe place for a man of God to be, which is probably why God sent him there. Now, there are four remaining occurrences of Ahikam, two in the book of 2 Kings, two in the book of 2 Chronicles, and both of these, remember Kings and Chronicles are somewhat harmonious, meaning they tell the same story, though they don't always agree uh, in detail. Uh, but Kings and Chronicles both give us two other occurrences in what we would call harmonistic readings about Akikam. We're going to look at those. And these both occurrences in Kings and both occurrences in Chronicles that mirror one another are telling about an event that took place 17 years before Akikam steps up to save Jeremiah's life from this wicked generation. Now I want you to go with me. Let's go with the version in Kings. I like it better. 2 Kings chapter 22. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 22. And let's start in verse 12. Uh, 2 Kings twenty-two twelve. And the king commanded, now this is Josiah, I'm going back in time, because I want to go 17 years prior to Ahikam saving Jeremiah's life. Uh, the king commanded, Josiah, king, commanded Hilkiahu the priest, and Ahikam the son of Shaphan, this is our man, and Akbar the son of Micaiah, and Shaphan the scribe, and Asiah the king's servant, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all of Judah concerning the words of this book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not hearkened to the words of this book to do according to all which is written concerning us. And no doubt they have not done according to the words of this book because the book had been lost. The book was found by Hilkiahu uh, when he was going about a restoration, a reformation, if you will. He, he was on a mission to cleanse the house of all the bad that had happened, going back to Manasseh. Remember, Chronicles says Manasseh uh, repented and, uh, and, and he turned his life around. You can say repent, whatever. Uh, but it says he, he did make teshuva, if you will, is the way the Hebrew puts it. That's what Chronicles says. Kings doesn't know anything about that. The book of Kings has nothing good to say about um, uh, Manasseh. But from Manasseh, then you work your way on down. You have go down to Ammon. Ammon is bad. Ammon is killed. He's assassinated. And then uh, little eight-year-old Josiah becomes king. So when Josiah grows up, this is the 18th year of his reign, so he's 26 years old, he sets out to cleanse the temple, and he sends forward uh, this expedition uh, to do what we're going to study a little bit today. Now, notice what happens here. This, by the way, is also in 2 Chronicles 34, 20, tells this story. Akikam ben Shaphan, Akikam, the guy who saves Jeremiah, 
the son of Shaphan, is a member of a five-person delegation. After the scroll is found, Josiah says, Listen, you five go to Huldah the prophetess and, and bring this book with you. Now, what I want you to notice is, is that two of this trusted delegation were members of the same family, two of the five. He's got Shaphan, and he's got Achikam ben Shaphan, father and son. He's got three others. Now, the list, by the way, differs slightly uh, if you look at Kings and Chronicles because uh, Kings has Akbar, and Chronicles has a guy by the name of Avdon. But we're not going to get into that today. I just want to mention, if you look at them, don't be shocked. The names don't agree. And I know some people will immediately say, well, uh, this is just because this person was called by a different name. Uh, Whatever the case may be, it doesn't matter because in my class today, I'm focused on the family of Ahikam and Shaphan. So let's look a little bit at Shaphan. I want you to back up in 2 Kings 22, and let's look at verse 3. 2 Kings 22, verse 3. And it came to pass in the 18th year of King Yoshiahu, or Josiah, that the king sent Shaphan, the son of Atsaliahu, the son of Meshulam, the scribe, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiahu, the high priest, that he may sum up the silver which is brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the door have gathered of the people. Let them deliver it to the doers of the work, etc. So Josiah calls into his presence a trusted man by the name of Shaphan. Shaphan HaSofer. Shaphan is a scribe. Shaphan is from a line... Uh, according to Kings, we get his father's name. Shaphan is Shaphan ben Atzaliahu. So Shaphan the scribe's father, Atzaliahu, is the son of Meshulam. These, this family is intimate and close with the king. Josiah needs a job done. He has determined, he set his heart to, to follow after the God of David to follow after his father's God. And he says, Shaphan, come. Shaphan, I want you to go to Hilkiahu. I want you to go to the house, and I want this place cleaned up. I want all this idolatry gone. I want the place suitable to worship my God. And Shaphan takes off. And Shaphan goes. And Shaphan reaches uh, this particular place. Yeah, I want you to understand, he's the right-hand man of, of uh, Josiah. And so he sets forth. Now, what is interesting is that according to Kings, again, we have five names. We have five names of this family line for certain. And only because of Kings. Chronicles does tell us that Shaphan's father's name is Atzaliahu, but it doesn't bother to tell us that his father's name was Meshulam. Remember, Chronicles is written much later, but Kings is, it, it is written as if it's on the spot. Kings always knows details. Kings knows, and his mother's name was. Chronicles never includes that. Chronicles is a vest pocket version written for the uh, kingdom of Judea, but Kings is almost like the word on the street. It gives us all these cool details. I encourage you to watch for that as you look at Kings versus Chronicles. So Chronicles doesn't give us as much detail, uh, in, but it does sometimes give us detail that's important. In fact, in the Chronicles account uh, that I just read, the uh, harmonious account in Kings, it, does, it gives two more names. It says that the king, Josiah, not only did he send Shaphan to Hilkiahu, 
he sends two other people. Kings wants us to focus on Shaphan, and rightly so, because today I'm going to show you that it's this family that's a holy family, and we should be really paying attention. For the writer of Kings, the focus is on Shaphan. Look at 2 Kings 22, verse 8. And Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan the scribe. Remember, Shaphan was sent by the king to head this project up. And Hilkiah says to Shaphan, Hey, Shaphan, I have found a book of the Torah in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. So this isn't a big, big book. He gives him a scroll. And Shaphan reads it. It's a short, it's a smallish document. I call it the Moses scroll because it's the scroll that Moses wrote. Verse 9, and Shaphan the scribe came to the king. So he reads the scroll and he takes it to the king and he brought back word to the king and said, your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and delivered into the hand of them that do the work. Remember, that was his job. That they that have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a scroll. This is Shaphan. And Shaphan read it before the king. So he reads it again. And it came to pass when the king heard the words of the book of the Torah, the scroll of the instruction, he tore his clothes. And that's when we pick up where I started with. He commissions a five-person delegation, two members of the same family and three others that he trusts, and he sends them to Huldah. So now we know that Shaphan, the trusted one of Josiah, has a son named Ahikam, who 17 years after this event will save Jeremiah's life, Shaphan and Ahikam are, a member of the, are both members of the five-person delegation that Josiah trusts to go to hold up. Now, but that's not all the members of this family. In chapter 36 of Jeremiah, we're going to go there, uh, but I'm going to tell you a little bit about this first. We have an interesting event. Jeremiah 36 gives us the narrative of a story which takes place in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the fourth year of Jehoiakim, and um, we're going to get much more detailed about this story in a future class. But I want to touch on the narrative of Jeremiah 36 in the fourth year of Jehoiakim uh, because I want to cover how it relates to our holy family. I'm just focused on the holy family today. Now, at some point in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, Jehovah tells Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I want you to record all the words that I've spoken to you over the course of the time that I've been talking to you for these 23 years. I want you to put them in a book, in a scroll, all right? So we don't know exactly when in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, but I'm going to get us a little bit closer as we work through the story. But he tells him, put it all down. And so we, get, we meet another character. We're going to talk more about him later too, but I want to touch it. Baruch ben Neriah is enlisted by Jeremiah to assist with the writing of the scroll. And by the way, one of the things I want to show you that I think is pretty interesting is that Baruch, uh, we think very highly of Baruch, both our Baruch as well as uh, the Baruch here in the uh, prophet Jeremiah's scribe. But Baruch is, he has to get a stern message. Uh, Jeremiah has to tighten him up a little bit during the process of writing his scroll, but we'll talk about that in another class. Eventually, 
This takes a little bit of time to write the scroll of Jeremiah's prophecies, but eventually the job is completed after some time, and Baruch is told by Jeremiah that he wants him to read the words of this scroll uh, to the people. And, and why can't Jeremiah do it himself? Because Jeremiah is detained. He is in custody. He's locked up, or he would do it himself. But he, he dictates the words, and we get this beautiful uh, narrative in, in chapter uh, 36 where we get a description of how the book of Jeremiah, the original book of Jeremiah, uh, came to be. And uh, so, uh, but, but we get that, we'll get into that later. But what Jeremiah tells him is, I'm locked up, I can't go to read this to the people, so I want you to do it for me, but he, he gives him a little bit of a caveat. He tells him uh, that it has to be done at a certain time. In other words, you're not just going to go read it any old time, you're going to read it at a certain time. Look with me at Jeremiah 36 and uh, verse 6. Jeremiah 36, verse 6. Therefore you go and read in the scroll which you have written from my mouth the words of Jehovah in the ears of the people in Jehovah's house upon the fast day, Bayom Tzom, Bayom Tzom, in a fast day. And it says, he goes on, and you shall also read them in the ears of all Judah that come out of their cities. Now the goal of this is that they will uh, repent. He said, perhaps after you read the words of these prophecies which de- describe in detail the destruction that's coming to Judea and, and particularly this house, uh, maybe, maybe then they'll repent. Now remember, this is a tough message, not only because it's a hard message, but because they're being told that everything is going swell. There's a revival in the land. We've got the house, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. The priesthood is functioning. The sacrificial cult is going. The smoke, the sweet savor is ascending into the clouds. And you have to go in there now and tell them that this place is going to go down. But it's got to be on a fast day. Now you might think, huh, is he, is he referring to a specific fast day? Like you might read it and you go, well, I know about Yom Kippur. Perhaps he means read it on Yom Kippur. But Yom Tzum, a fast day. But that's not the day he's talking about. Now I can show you that. Go with me to verse 9. Now remember, Jeremiah tells, God tells Jeremiah, write a scroll. Jeremiah employs uh, Baruch ben Neriah to write the scroll. He dictates it to Baruch ben Neriah, and he says, now I need you to go read this on a fast day. I can't go because I'm locked up. Uh, so here we go. This was in the fourth year of Jehoiakim. And it came to pass, verse 9, Je- Jeremiah 36, in the fifth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Yoshiahu, king of Judah, in the ninth month, that they proclaimed a fast before the Lord to all the people in Jerusalem and to all the people that came from the cities of Judah to Jerusalem. Then Baruch read in the scroll the words of Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. Now, the ninth month, this is interesting. I have questions. What fast is in the ninth month? Was it a standard fast or is it? Are we to take this very literally as I usually do? It says they proclaimed a fast. This is the ninth month, the fifth year of Jehoiakim. Now remember, the scroll begins to be written in the fourth year of Jehoiakim. We have a date for that. And it's not until the fifth year, the ninth month, 
Now, some might say, well, wait a minute, that means the ninth month of Jehoiakim's fifth year, and we have to know the reinal year. Does it begin in Tishri? Does it begin at... You don't have to be confused by all that. This is the ninth month, the ninth month. Now, let me tell you how I know that, because the Bible says so. Flip very quickly to verse 22, uh, Jeremiah 36, 22. Now the king sat in the winter house in the ninth month, and there was a fire burning before him. So it's cold, the ninth month, it's Kislev, it's December, it's chilly out, it's cold in Jerusalem, it gets cool in the winter, it's probably damp. So it's the ninth month, so uh, it's not Yom Kippur, which, occur- which appears in the seventh month. Go back to verse 10 of 36. Then Baruch read in the scroll the words of Yermiahu in the house of the Lord in the chamber of Gamaryahu, the son of Shaphan, the scribe. In the higher court at the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house, in the ears of all the people. Now, wait a minute. This guy, so now... Baruch has an inside man. He's got a man on the inside. You can imagine that behind the scenes, Jeremiah says, Listen, Baruch, I'm locked up. I'd do it, brother, but I can't. I need you to take this scroll. It's not going to be nice, but I need you to go into the house of the Lord. You can, Now, this is Ross. And as I think through the story, Baruch goes, Where should I read it? He said, Listen, Here's what I want you to do. You're going to go into the gate, and when you go, remember where I did the temple sermon that everybody uh, really loves so much? That's about where you're going to go, but I want you to go. you got to get with this family, my inside family. I want you to go to Gamar Yahu. And he goes, oh, of course, Gamar Yahu ben Shaphan. Yes, go to Gamar Yahu ben Shaphan. And, and this is our family. These people will help us. You tell them that the Lord sent me from Jeremiah to read the words of the scroll. And so he does. So, he's Gamariahu, the son of Shaphan, the scribe. The same Shaphan, the son of Atzaliahu, the son of Mishalam, who also has a son named Ahikam, who saved Jeremiah's life. Now, let's keep going. Verse 11. Um, when Micaiahu, the son of Gamariahu, the son of Shaphan, heard uh, out of the scroll all the words of the Lord, then he went down into the king's house, into the scribe's chamber, and lo, all the princes sat there. Elishama the scribe, and Deliyahu, the son of Shemayahu, and Elnatan, the son of Akbar. Wait a minute, I know that name. Elnatan, the son of Akbar, was the guy that the king sent to Egypt to fetch Uriah ben Shemaiah. You see how these names, this is like, these are people you need to know. And Gamariahu, the son of Shaphan, and Sidkiahu of Hananiahu, and all the princes. Uh, now, let me just take a break here. Just for a second, I want you to get this. You've got Shaphan's son, and you've got Shaphan's grandson. So Gamariahu is Ben Shaphan. Gamariahu is the son of Shaphan. It's his place at the Temple Mount, that the scroll is read there. It's read at that time. But it's not just the son of Shaphan who's there, but the grandson, Machehu. When he hears the words, it says he then goes. And what does he do? He goes to the king's house. Now, what does he do? Verse 13. Machehu declared to them all the words that he had heard. He's like, hey guys, remember one of these guys was sent by the king to go fetch Uriah ben Shemaiah out of Egypt to kill him. So this member of Shaphan's family, grandson, Micaiahu, says, hey guys, I just heard Jeremiah reading the scroll that 
Jer I heard uh, Baruch reading the scroll of Jeremiah that he dictated from the mouth of God. And he, wh where does this happen, Micaiah Right there at my grandfather's place on the Temple Mount. <gasps> on the Temple Mount. Yeah, you remember right there where Jeremiah got in trouble? Baruch is now reading his scroll right there. Now that's gutsy. Right? All right. Um, when Micaiahu declared to them all the words that he had heard when Baruch read the scroll in the ears of the people. Now, this is, it, it's getting more and more intense. Now, I, I can't go into all the details because it's for uh, another class. But what I want you to recognize is that it seems that this family, Shaphan, has several sons who are all very, we have a large pro-Jeremiah family is what we have. We've got Shaphan, Akikar, I mean Akikam, we've got Gamar Yahu, uh, so Shaphan, the son of Atzal Yahu, the son of Meshalum, his sons Akikam, Gamar Yahu, and it was in the chamber of Gamar Yahu at the temple where the scroll was read. It was Gamariahu's son, uh, Micaiah, uh, who is Shaphan's grandson, who alerted the princes that the book was being, the scroll was being read at Papa's place on the Temple Mount. But that's not all. Another member of the family of Shaphan is involved with Jeremiah. This son of Shaphan is mentioned also in our book of Jeremiah. This son of Shaphan was entrusted by Jeremiah to carry a personal letter to Babylon. Now, this is later. It occurs later in the story, but I'm, I'm dealing with the family of Shaphan, so I have to tell you now how great this family was. This holy, holy family who was pro-Jeremiah. So this is the event I'm about to tell you about takes place later, even yet later than Jeremiah 36, although it appears earlier in the book. Because 36 is, is describing events that take place in the fourth year of Jehoiakim. Um, this event is in chapter 29, earlier, but it takes place after Jeconiah and the queen mother and many of the officials are taken into captivity into Babylon. Does that make sense? So even though it's in chapter 29, remember I'm showing you it's like this book was just, uh, they dropped the different scroll fragments and didn't know how they went back together, so they just put them together. Now, I know some people say, well, that was purposeful. Yeah, well, I don't believe that, but that's the view of some. Chapter 29 of Jeremiah, because it's not like it's hard to put back together. For the most part, you just read and it says this was in this year. Oh, well, that goes before that. So chapter 29, verse 1, please go there. Remember, we're looking for the family of Shaphan. Now, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the residue of the elders who were carried away captives and to the priests and to the prophets and to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem to Babel after Jeconiah the king and the queen mother and the officers, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, and the craftsmen and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. Now, that's parenthetical. And then it says, so in other words, Jeremiah sent the letter by the hand, verse 3, of El-Asa, El-Asa ben Shaphan. El-Asa means God's work. He also, El-Asa, is also a son of Shaphan. And then it says, he, so he sends El-Asa. Jeremiah says, hey, El-Asa, please, my friend, my, the member of my trusted family, the son of Shaphan, El-Asa, El-Asa, 
please take this letter to the captives and bring with you Gamaria. Now this isn't Gamariahu. Gamariahu is another son of Shaphan. This is Gamaria. This is Gamaria ben Hilkiah, another person altogether. But what I want you to realize is that he, he, he says, I've got to get this letter. Here you go. Look. I've got to get this letter. Elasa, please take this to the captives in Babylon. Now, who else would you give it to? If you're Jeremiah, you, you have to have people you trust. And it's a tough crowd. A lot of people want Jeremiah dead. But he's got one family he can trust. The B'nai Shaphan. The sons of Shaphan, they are dear to his heart. And he sends Shaphan's son, Elasa. Off you go, son. Go to Babylon. Now the message, by the way, that's written on the note that he sends is this. You people that have been carried away, won't you go ahead and make yourself comfortable? Plant gardens. Put your kids in school. You're going to be here a while. That's what the letter said. But we're not finished yet. After the people of Judah, after the people of Judah were carried captive to Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar appointed a man named Gedaliahu over those that he left in the land of Judea. Gedaliahu. Now, Gedaliahu is better known by the name Gedaliah. It's most English translations have his name. But Gedaliahu was not of the royal house, or I like the way it's worded in 2 Kings 25, 25. Instead of royal house, it says the seed of the kingdom. So Gedaliahu is not a member of the Holy Seed, or so you thought. Because if you think that the kingdom of the house of David is the Holy Seed, you're not looking at the same text I'm looking at. I would say that Gedaliahu is of the Holy Seed. The seed of David is utterly and hopelessly corrupt. But man, there's this one family. One family who represents the holiness and the best of the Judeans. Yeah, sure, they're not of the seed of the kingdom. But Nebuchadnezzar appoints Gedaliahu. Now, Nebuchadnezzar took a special interest in Jeremiah's well-being. Go with me to Jeremiah 39. Jeremiah 39. And I want to read beginning in verse 9. This is after he's taken the people captive. Jeremiah 39, 9. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard carried away captive into Bavel the remnant of the people that remained in the city and the deserters who had deserted to him with the rest of the people that remained. But Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, left the poor left uh, of the guard, left of the poor of the people who had nothing in the land of Yehuda, and gave them vineyards and fields at the same time. Now. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babel, gave charge concerning Jeremiah to Nebuchadnezzar. So I want you to pause here. Nebuchadnezzar says, uh, hey, listen, Nebuchadnezzar, when you go there and do what you do, I got this one guy I want you to be real good to. I want you to take care of this man. Please take care of this man. Be careful to take care of this man. Listen, he tells him, take him and look well to him. Now, let me start back at 11. 
Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babel, gave charge concerning Jeremiah to Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, saying, Take him, Jeremiah, look well to him, and do him no harm, but do to him as he shall say to you. So here's what Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babel, says, Listen, let me tell you something, Nebuchadnezzar. When you meet Jeremiah, you need to go find Jeremiah. When you do, you say, Jeremiah, what would you have me do for you? Who do you want to stay with? Where do you want to live? Then sent Nebuchadnezzar, verse 13, the captain of the guard, and Nebuchadnezzar, and Rav Saris, and Nergal Saezer, and Rav Mag, and all the princes of the king of Babel, and they sent and they took Jeremiah out of the court of the guard and committed him to Gedaliah. So he's going to stay with Gedaliah. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar said, let him stay wherever he wants. This means that Nebuchadnezzar asked and Jeremiah said, I'd like to stay with Gedaliah. Gedaliah who? Gedaliah who? The son of Achikam the son of Shaphan, that he should carry him home. So he dwelt among the people. Jeremiah could stay anywhere he wants, but he's got a family that he knows, that he loves, and that he trusts. Gedaliahu may not have been of the seed of the kingdom, but Gedaliahu represented the best of the people of Judea. And he was of the holy seed. So Jeremiah stays with Gedaliahu, the son of Achikam, who had saved Jeremiah's life, the son of Shaphan, who had read the scroll first. Jeremiah lived with a member of the holy family. But you know what? It didn't end well. This man, Gedaliahu, appointed over the remnant of Judea, the poor of the land, the one that Jeremiah chose to live with, get this, was assassinated by members, please understand this, of the seed of the kingdom. Gedaliahu of the Holy Seed is murdered by the, honestly, the wicked seed. Now before he's murdered, Gedaliahu, who's over the land of Judea, is warned by his men. His men come to him, come to Gedaliahu, and they say, Gedaliahu, we just heard on the street, there's a plot to kill you, and, and the... The, the seed of the kingdom, a remnant of the seed of the kingdom is plotting right now to kill you. And he says, no way. I won't hear it. I don't believe it. They said, listen to me, Gedaliahu. I'm telling you, they are planning to kill you. And he said, there's no way. There's no way. I won't hear of it. Get out of here with that. And they said, listen, we'll take those guys out. We, this is Gedaliahu's men, his cabinet, if you will, they said, let us, just give us the word, we'll, but we'll snuff these bad guys out. Gedaliahu wouldn't hear it. And he was killed. Thrown into a cistern. Man. Did you know this? Gedaliahu, the son of Achikam, who saved Jeremiah's life when the wicked king wanted to kill him and the people. Achikam, the son of Shaphan. Gedaliah, the grandson of Shaphan, who was murdered, is honored to this day on the Jewish calendar. I remember years ago, I read on my calendar the fast of Gedalia. 
And I remember thinking ignorantly, you know, you can be ignorant. It doesn't mean I'm stupid. I was ignorant. I didn't know. I said, what is this man-made fast? It's not in the Bible. I'm going to be fasting on the 10th of the month. I'm going to already be fasting on Yom Kippur. That's hard enough for me. I like to eat. I'm not going to fast on the... Who is Gedaliahu? The fast of Gedaliah. Get out of here. I know now. You know what I do on the fast of Gedaliah? I refrain from anything. And you know why? Because this holy family should be honored. This holy family was trusted by Josiah to restore the house. This holy family, a member of this holy family, was the first after Hilkiah found it to hold the Moses scroll and read it. This man, Shaphan, then took the scroll, trusted to bring the scroll to King Josiah. He read it again to the king. Then he and his son, Ahikam, were trusted to be part of a five-person delegation to take the holy scroll that Moses wrote, the real one, the authentic scroll that Moses wrote that the Pentateuch tells us about. And he's told, take this to Huldah. Two of the five are members of this family. And then we have... Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, who steps in to save Jeremiah's life when the people wanted to kill him. And then we have the family, the holy family provides a space. Gamar Yahu, the son of this family, provides a space for the scroll, the original scroll of Jeremiah that was destroyed. We'll read about that. It was this family who said, hey, You can read it here in my chamber. And then it was a member of the same family, the grandson, Micaiah, who says, okay, dad, do I go now? Yeah, now go to the king's house. Tell him that we're reading the scroll of Jeremiah. Same family. Micaiah who runs, he tells it, Elnatan Akbar is there. My God, man, this is the guy who chases down people that the king doesn't like. It was a member of this family entrusted by Jeremiah to take a message to the captives in Babylon. It was a member of this family that Jeremiah chose to stay with in the ruins and rubble of Judea after the Babylonian invasion. As we work through the material of Jeremiah... I want you to pay close attention. Don't read over these names like, who is Elnatan ben Akbar? I mean, because by the way, we're going to meet him again. He was there. He was part of the uh, entourage that went to get Uriah. He was there uh, when Jeremiah was saved by someone else, and he's going to show up again. We have to pay attention to these names. But we have to watch in particular for members of the Shafan family, the B'nai Shafan. Look, it's not the kings and priests of Judah to whom we should give honor, that we should look up to. You know, that's, I mean, anyone who reads the Bible should know that. The worst of the worst are the kings and the priests, for the most part, generally. There are exceptions, but the rule is you read king or priest and you're going to find bad. This, the, the, the kings and priests were not, they might have been the seed of the kingdom, but I'm looking for holy families because that's what God's looking for. You don't impress God by being a member of the royal seed. 
God looks to those who are humble and contrite and holy, not because of who your daddy or granddaddy is, unless, like Shaphan, you teach your children and they model your ways and your grandchildren are even involved in it. You see, the kings and the priests killed the prophets. They imprisoned the true prophet, Jeremiah. They will burn his scroll. They didn't honor the Moses scroll that was, as Jeremiah says, over and over and over and over that was put before it. The scribes used a lying pen to change what they did have. They didn't honor the real scroll of Moses. Rather, it was one ever-present holy family that deserves our honor. A family who loved and respected holy scrolls. That saved prophets from death and provided safe homes for them to live and even died for the cause of good. Perhaps this year, in the seventh month, when the third day comes and it says on your Jewish calendar, the fast of Gedalia, maybe, like me, you won't be ignorant anymore. You'll do this fast. And you'll think about the holy family in the final days of the kingdom of Judea. Shabbat Shalom. Join me next Saturday morning. Same time, same channel. Have a beautiful week.